Man, you may be seated. Welcome to River Rock Bible Church. We are glad that you guys are here with us this morning. If you're visiting with us or that your first time, uh, my name is Charlie Turner. I'm the lead pastor here at River Rock Bible Church. And <clears throat> as you can hear, uh, my sinuses and allergies have decided to act up. And so hopefully my voice will make it all the way through the message this morning. Uh, and uh, if not, then uh, Jeff's going to take over. Uh, he doesn't know that yet, but he will. Uh, so we're glad that you're here this morning. And just to kind of give you some insight as to where we are as a church, we started in September. We celebrated our fifth year anniversary, and we started a series in the book of Corinthians. And we're taking little chunks at a time. We have little series within the series. So we're going to be in First Corinthians all year long. And uh, we're... We're reading this book that Paul has written to a church that he planted. It's about a five-year-old church plant at this time, and he's writing to address some issues that the church is having. And last week, as we started chapter three, we saw that one of the biggest issues that they're facing is some immaturity. And it's that immaturity uh, is kind of the root cause of all the other issues that this church is facing. And Paul says one of the biggest ways that their immaturity shows itself is they're arguing with each other. And they're arguing about which leader is better or who is more important because of what spiritual gift they have. And so Paul tells them in, in chapter 3, the beginning, he says that you, you guys are, are just children. You're not ready for the deep uh, spiritual food that you need to be able to grow. He says after five years, you're still not ready. And he says you guys are, are just immature, now, one of the things, he, he calls them little children. You know, you're acting like, like infants, like little children. You still need milk. Now, I don't know how much time you spent around little kids, but I have four kids of my own. I have triplets that are seven, and I have a four-year-old little girl. And uh, one of the first things I learned as a parent is that children are inherently selfish. Like, if there's one characteristic that you could use to describe a child, it is selfishness. And so when Paul is talking about all these issues in the Corinthian church, I think there's a root cause of that, the, that it manifests itself in selfishness. And if you were to trace that from fruit to the root, right? So uh, we know that the fruit on the tree is traced all the way back to the root. And so if we look at the sin in our lives, how it manifests itself outwardly, and I encourage you to do this regularly, whatever sin is in your life you look at that and you say, okay, what is the root cause? If I were to trace this all the way back to something deep down, ultimately there's somewhere in my life that I'm not believing God's word is true. And so what is it that I'm not believing is true or what is the root cause of this? And if we look at selfishness, we know that the root cause of it is pride. Pride and selfishness always go together. A truly humble person cannot be selfish. Pride is nothing more than self-importance and self-focus. It's thinking that you're better or more important than others. And this always leads to selfish thinking and selfish actions. And this is where the Corinthian church is. They're dealing with pride and Paul's concern for them. We saw last week that Paul's concern is that he wants to see this church be built to last so that it can have a lasting impact on its community there in Corinth. And he's saying right now, the way that you are, the way that you're living, you're not built to last. If this pride and this inhumility continue, this fighting continue, this church will not survive, not because of Jesus' failure as his mission, 
but because the outside world is going to look at what's happening within the church and say, yeah, if that's what Jesus is, then I don't want to have any part of it. It's not that Jesus' mission to reach the world will fail because we know ultimately that that will be successful. It's that this local church will not survive and won't get to have the privilege of being a part of what Jesus is doing. And so he's saying, you guys have to put aside your selfishness and your pride or else you won't last. And we, we talked last week about his desire to see this, this church be something that lasts. And this morning we're going to talk about <clears throat> something that's really important when you're building something. You'll see up here I have a couple different measure, a couple different tools that we use to measure when we're building. And if you've ever built anything or, or made anything, then you know how important it is to have a level and a tape measure. Like these are extremely important things, especially if you want to build a building. You can't do it without these tools. And the problem with pride and selfishness is that what happens often is that we use the wrong standard of measurement. Imagine trying to build a building where the blueprints call for inches and you decide that you're going to use centimeters, right? It's not going to turn out very well. Uh, You've got to build with the right standard of measurement. And the problem with pride is that we often use the wrong standard of measurement. So I want us to look at chapter 3 beginning in verse 18. And we're going to read what Paul has to say. We're going to go all the way through chapter 4, verse 7. And uh, next week, we're going to come back and we're going to actually start in verse 6 and then finish out the chapter of chapter 4. But let's look at what Paul says in chapter 3, verse 18. He says, No one should deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he can become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, since it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasoning of the wise are meaningless. So no one should boast in human leaders, for everything is yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or of the world or life or death or things present or things to come. Everything is yours and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to you. So what is Paul saying here? Paul's saying that you've got to be careful in the church because you're self-deceived. We are often self-deceived. And when we're self-deceived, we end up having the wrong perspective. We end up having the wrong perspective on things. Now, I don't know about you. Uh, We moved into our house uh, a little over three years ago, and we had the joy of hanging pictures. Any of you men ever had the joy of hanging pictures with your wife? So what happens when you hang a picture? One of you stands and you have the picture and you're hanging it and you're trying to get it straight. And then she's on the other side of the room giving you instructions, right? Because what's the problem? If I'm right here, what's the problem? I don't see the big picture. I have a limited perspective. And what may look right to me from across the room looks absolutely awful. And you realize that it's three inches off. But while I have this limited perspective, it looks right. But then you step back and you realize, oh, it's, it's about three inches off. I need to adjust this picture. And then you adjust it to where it looks right. Now, for most of you, you just kind of leave it there. I don't know about you, but uh, some call it anal retentive. Some call it obsessive compulsive. I call it Uh, attention to detail, right? So if you're like me, no matter what your wife says, no matter how it looks to you, you pull out the level and you 
put the level, and you make sure that bubble is right in the center. If it's a little bit this way or a little bit that way, it doesn't matter. It's got to be right in the center. We want it to be perfect. We've got to use the right perspective, the right tool to measure. And Paul says, listen, you're not using the right tool to measure because you, you don't even have the right perspective. Maybe some of you can relate this, to this in a different way. Have you ever been in the passenger seat of a car and you look over on the driver's side and you say, man, we better get gas. We're almost out of gas. And the driver's sitting, and from his perspective, he's like, man, we got a quarter tank. What are you talking about? But it's because of your perspective. You're on the other side. You're looking at things a little bit different. So Paul says we've got to have a right perspective. And the problem is that all of us are self-deceived. Whether we like to admit it or not, we get self-deceived. And so we have to be careful because how many of you are familiar with the term fundamental attribution error? I knew you all would be, all right? Uh, (laughs) So here's what that means. It's a big word. What it means is that we often assume the best of ourselves and the worst of someone else. You ever been there? You assume that someone else's intentions, they're doing the exact same thing you're doing, They're doing it out of the wrong motives. And of course, I would never do it out of the wrong motives. I'm only doing it out of the right motives. We're self-deceived. Paul knows this. Paul knows that that we as human beings are often self-deceived. And we're self-deceived in a number of different ways. One of the first ways we get self-deceived is that we, we fail to believe that the world is broken. We don't want to admit that the world is broken. And so we look at things from a human perspective instead of God's perspective. And we begin to import human wisdom into our lives that if I would just have more of this, if I just did more of this, then things in my life would be better. And we doubt that God's way is the way that really satisfies. And we begin to to think of things and to begin to look to the world to satisfy us. And we fail to realize that we're self-deceived. That next promotion, that new house, that new set of clothes higher grades, more friends, little weight off here and there, a little more weight on in the right place. All of those things deceive us when we think that those are going to make us happy because we fail to realize that the world system, the world's definition of success, the world's definition of how we should look, how we should act, how we should feel is broken. And that leads us to, to further problems. We deceive ourselves into thinking that we are not broken. We often think that, well, it can't be my fault. It's got to be the system. It's got to be somebody else. It's the leadership. It's, it's the way the communication is happening. It's, it's the other person. And we fail to realize that, in fact, we are the ones who are broken because we're self-deceived. We don't like to admit that we are emotionally, relationally, physically and even materially broken. We want to blame it on someone else. And this, you can see this. You turn on the news. You turn on any, read any news story. And what do we read? We read about how everyone is a victim. And we fail to realize that because of our own actions, because of our own sin in our lives, we've brought this upon ourselves, that we, in fact, are broken. And the last way we deceive ourselves is we think that we can fix ourselves. If we finally get to that point where we are honest with, our enough, honest with ourselves enough to admit that we are broken and the world we live in is broken, we start to think, well, I can fix this. I'm going to go to Barnes & Nobles. I'm going to go to Amazon, self-help. 
get the best book, and I'm going to fix this myself. And we fail to realize that it's only God and his ways that can actually fix us. And that's kind of where the Corinthians are. They have this self-centered pride, and they're trying to fix themselves. And what happens when you get to this place where you fail to realize that your world is broken, that you are broken, and every attempt that you have to fix yourself is broken, is that you use the wrong standard of measurement. You start to compare yourself with everyone else. And here's the problem with comparison is you're going to compare yourself to someone else and it's either going to inflate you with pride or it's going to deflate you to depression. Those are the only two options. Because you're either going to look at someone else and say, well, man, compared to Jeff, I'm doing great. I, man, I got all this stuff happening. I got all these things. Man, if Jeff were more like me, our church would be in a better place. If Jeff would just do the things that I'm doing, our church would be going further faster. And if he would just do them the way that I'm doing them in the amount that I'm doing them, we would all be in a great place. What is wrong with Jeff? Why can't Jeff be more like me? And then at the same time, we turn around and we say, man, I see, I see Jill. I see what she's doing. There's no way I could do that. I can't, man, I can't do that. I see all the time, the energy, the effort she puts in, how she prays for people. I'm just a failure. Is God even happy with me? We lead ourselves to a position of despair where we become useless. The enemy wants us to be useless. And whether it's pride or, or depression or despair, when we've compared ourselves to someone else, we make ourselves useless make ourselves useless. And so this is, this is something a, a mentor of mine used to say. He'd, he'd say, comparison is the killer of servants. Comparison is the killer of servants. And we are meant to be God's servants, as we'll see in just a minute. Because we either become inflated with pride or deflated and depressed because we'll never measure up to the other person. And that's the second thing that I want us to see is that when we compare ourselves to other people, we use the wrong measuring stick. We're using the wrong measuring stick. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. He says, Pride is not the pleasure of having more as much as it is the pleasure of having more than the next person. Pride is not so much the pleasure of having more as much as it is the pleasure of having more than the next person. And many of the Corinthians thought they were mature and wise because they had more of a certain spiritual gift. They had more knowledge. They had more access to a certain teacher. So they became inflated with pride because they were self-deceived about who they really were and what their identity really was because they were using the wrong measuring stick. Let's look at verses, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. A person should consider us in this way as servants of Christ and managers of God's mystery. In this regard, it is expected of managers that each of them be found faithful. It is of little importance to me that I should be evaluated by you or any human court. In fact, I don't even evaluate myself, for I'm not conscious of anything against myself, but I'm not justified by this. The one who evaluates me is the Lord. Therefore, don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes, who will both who will both bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the heart, and then praise will come to each one from God. 
Now, there's some major things happening here. Paul's telling them, listen, you're using the wrong measuring stick. You're measuring yourselves against one another, and that's not how it works. He says you can't even measure yourself against yourself. The ultimate standard is God. Now, how many fishermen do we have out there? Right? We've got some fishermen out there. How many of you have ever seen a fisherman's ruler? Okay? So, one, two, three, four, five, right? But... I like this one down here because then I can say that my fish is nine inches long compared to six inches long, right? So we want to maybe use the wrong ruler. Well, I can tell you if you have a fisherman's ruler on your boat and the game warden stops you, he's going to pull out his own ruler. Guess which ruler matters? The game wardens, not yours. And you're going to get a nice ticket and you're going to get to go see Judge Gravel. Uh, Probably have all your fishing stuff taken away. We've got to make sure that we're using the right ruler. And when we, when we compare ourselves to others, it's not the right ruler. Spurgeon, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, a famous preacher from the 19th century, said this. He says, the apostle was anxious to be rightly accounted of, and well he might be, for ministers are not often estimated rightly. As a rule, they are either gloried in or else despised. It would be for the advantage of the church for our own benefit and for the glory of God, if we were put into our right places and kept there, being neither overrated or unduly censured, that is criticized, but viewed in our relationship to the Lord rather than in our own personalities. And what you have to understand, what we covered last week, is that everything Paul is writing here, he's writing to and about the leaders of the church. And he's saying, listen, you shouldn't esteem one leader over another. He's like, you don't get... You don't get the right to judge these leaders based on your personal preference because this was the problem. They were judging based on, well, I like the way Paul teaches and he's direct and he just tells it like it is. Well, I like the way Apollos teaches because he uses more illustrations and he makes it a little bit nicer and neater. And so they were basing everything on their personal preference. And Paul says that's not the standard of measurement. He says ministers shouldn't even be evaluating themselves Go back to point number one, because we're often self-deceived. And we think, well, I have the right intentions in doing this. I'm doing things the right way. And he says, ultimately, there's a higher standard that we answer to, and that is the Lord. He says, the Lord is the one who judges me. And I got to tell you, as, as a pastor, as, as a leader in the church, this was so freeing to me to know that what you think of me doesn't matter. I've, I've struggled my whole life with performance. I've always looked for the applause of men, something that I, I still struggle with, and I have to wrestle with it regularly, that why am I doing this? Am I doing this for the right reasons? And it, even then, I have to continually pray through and evaluate my intentions and my motives. Paul says, I can't even know my own intentions sometimes because why? I'm self-deceived. And the reality is this, um, at this church, the members and the elders, they can fire me, right? So in some regard, I I do have to be a little bit concerned, Um, but in some other regard, if I know that I'm following the Lord and I'm putting my trust in him and I'm doing what God has called me to do, what you think of me, my style of preaching, the fact that my hair is falling out, it's not actually falling out, it's actually just retreating down my back, but whatever you think of me, It doesn't matter. 
What matters is, have I been faithful to the Lord? Have I been faithful to the Lord? And this is not just about my speech, but also my practice, right? That's what ultimately matters. Later on, Paul's going to say, hey, I'm making this application to Apollos and myself for your benefit. Because what he wants them to see is you've got to stop comparing yourselves to other people. You have to start looking to God's word and what it says and measure yourself against that, realizing that it's not the other people in the church who are going to get to judge you. It's not even your pastors, your leaders, or even yourself who will get to judge you. It is God who will get to judge you. And he says that judgment doesn't come in this life. That judgment is yet to come. He says, in this life, we can't even make an accurate judgment because we don't even know our own intentions, much less can we know the intentions of someone else. So he says, we have to be careful because so often we find ourselves using the wrong standard of measurement. Paul tries to put himself in the right place and help the Corinthians see what their right place is. Because even though Paul is talking about himself and Apollos and the others who are leading in the church, as I said, he's going to make an application later on to the whole church. We know from 1 Peter that we are a royal priesthood. We know from Ephesians chapter 4 that he gave some to be pastors and teachers, equippers, uh, and he gave some to be um, apostles so that the body of Christ may be built up to equip the saints for works of service. So we understand that there is a distinction in terms of our leadership role and structure, but in terms of responsibility for God's mission in building up the church, we are all held equally accountable. At River Rock, we say it this way, the pastors are the equippers, the people are the ministers. It's my job as a pastor to equip you to do the works of service. And we all work together to build up the church. It's not my job, it's not the elder's job, it's all of our jobs to build up the church And so Paul's going to help them understand, and he uses a couple words here. He says, a person should consider us in this way, as servants of Christ. Now the word here, if you look back at chapter 3, verse 5, in the English it also says servants. That word is diakonos. It means servant in terms of a waiter of tables. And so Paul is saying, hey, we are all serving the church. This is our role, is that we serve you by equipping you to do works of service. But here in chapter 4, verse 1, he uses a different Greek word. This is the, the, uh, the word, it actually literally translated means under rower. And this term speaks of the slaves that were at the bottom of the Roman ships who would row the ship. Now let me ask you, does a slave at the bottom of the ship who's rowing, does he get to ter- determine the direction that that ship goes? No. His job is just to row. He's not the captain. He's just a rower. And so Paul is saying, Look, in relation to you, I'm a, I'm a diakonos. I'm a servant, waiter of tables. I serve you. Now I'm talking about my relationship to God. I am under his authority, and I'm just rowing. And I'm rowing wherever he tells me to row. Right? So I'm a servant. And then he goes on, and he says, and managers of God's mysteries. God's mystery is the gospel. And that word that he uses for manager is kind of like uh, another way to, to think of it would be a steward or kind of the, like the leader of the house who's been put in charge by the master. So think about Joseph in the Old Testament where he is in charge of Potiphar's house and it said that Potiphar didn't concern himself with anything except what he was going to eat. Joseph was in charge of the whole household. But Joseph had a responsibility 
to manage that household in a direction and in a way that was in line with what Potiphar wanted, right? He didn't get to go and make his own decisions. And so Paul says, listen, I have been given a responsibility by God. Not only am I just supposed to, I'm, I'm his servant, but I've also been given a responsibility as a pastor, as a leader in the church, to manage this church, to steward this church in line with God's desires, right? So I have to be in line with what God desires. I don't just get to go and do my own thing. I have a responsibility to the Lord. All who minister for Christ are responsible to him and no one else, and no one else. And this is one of the struggles that we have is because as followers of Jesus, as those who are working together to build up the church, we have a responsibility, but we also have liberty, don't we? We have liberty. Because there are lots of things that Scripture is not black and white on. And we've got to figure out what that looks like and how we walk in that liberty and how we walk in that responsibility. And so when we start to compare ourselves to someone else and we don't realize that, that maybe they're not as gifted in this area as I am, what we start to do is we start to put ourselves in the place of God and we start to judge them where only God can judge them. And I think far too often we're guilty of that. We're guilty of judging each other, putting ourselves in the place of God and judging each other based on the wrong standard. The main point here is not, is Paul popular? Is Apollos a better preacher than Paul? The main point is, have Paul and Apollos and Peter and the other leaders been faithful to do the work that God has assigned them? Are they being faithful in in their personal lives and in their home and in their ministry to be faithful to the right standard? And that right standard is the right measuring stick. And with the right measuring stick, we can have the right perspective. With the right measuring stick, we have the right perspective. Now, in this last section, Paulus, uh, Paul is going to apply this to himself and Paulus for the benefit of the church, and this is what he says in verse 6. Now, brothers, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the saying, nothing beyond what is written. And that's in quotes. Let me explain this a little bit. This likely had become a very popular saying in the church by this time. And so Paul puts it in quotes, that nothing beyond what is written. And this is where the liberty comes in. Now, liberty is not license. You understand the difference? There's freedom in Christ in certain areas, but that's not a license to go and sin and to do different things. But he's saying, hey, nothing beyond what is written. Where scripture is silent, we're going to be silent. But where scripture is clear, then we're going to be absolutely clear, but we're not going to go beyond that and start making our own rules. Okay, so he says, nothing beyond what is written. The purpose is that none of you will be inflated with pride in favor of one person over another. Now, Paul's talking about himself and Apollos, but he's also saying one in favor of yourself over someone else. Right? This is where humility comes in. It says, for what makes you so superior? And what do you have that you didn't receive, if in fact you did receive it? Why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? Paul's saying, look, everything you have, all these spiritual gifts, everything that you have is is a gift. It's given to you by God. You didn't work for it. You didn't earn it. I feel like a president. You didn't build that, right? He's saying these spiritual gifts, it's not from you. It's not your hard work that, 
that determined these. They were given to you. You can't be prideful in something that was given to you. It's like going out and winning the lottery and then calling Dave Ramsey on Monday and saying, hey, I paid off all my debt, worked really hard. (laughs) Dave Ramsey's going to look at you and say, well, how'd you do it? And you're going to say, well, I won the lottery. And he's going to hang up on you and say, get out of here. Call me in two years when you've blown through all your money, right? It's about honoring the gifts that have been given to us. We have to use the right measuring stick. And what is that measuring stick? That measuring stick is scripture. Scripture and scripture alone. On this side of heaven, this is the best we can do. This is how God has chosen to reveal himself and his will to us. In fact, the word canon that we use to describe the Bible, right? You've heard it called the canon or canonical. That word means measuring stick. This, God's word, is the measuring stick by which we measure our own lives. Now let me say this. Understanding that we don't judge one another should never lead us to a position of independence where we don't feel like we need one another. Because let's be honest, there are times when we need someone to come to us and bring the right measuring stick and say, you know what, God's word says this and I'm seeing this in your life. And I love you enough to help you get on the right track. There's a difference between judging and making a judgment. And when we, when we look at someone's life, shouldn't we love them enough to say, hey, I see you headed down this track and God's word says this, and you're in danger. I just, I just want you to know that. But at the same time, we don't get to be the Holy Spirit. I had this happen with a man that I love and trust in my own life at one point. Um, it was my father-in-law and I had to come to him with a passage of scripture and say, here's what scripture says. Here's how I understand it and I just wanted to bring this to your attention but you need to read it for yourself and pray through it and let God speak to you about what he would have you do. And that was really hard. But I needed to be faithful to him and faithful to God's word to warn him. So we have to use the right measuring stick to measure And we cannot go beyond the word of God and treat men other than as scripture allows. About a year ago, I started a major building project at my house in my backyard. And if you've been there, you know what it is. Um, We decided that we were going to build a fort in our backyard. Now, if you know anything about me, you know how much I love my grass it kind of looks like a golf course. And uh, my wife and my mother-in-law and family were like, you need to build something in the backyard. You got all that space. You got to build something for your kids. And I was like, but my grass. And we went to a conference and one of the speakers said, uh, was not, had no idea who I was, but he said something about putting a trampoline in the backyard. And he said, am I growing kids or am I going growing grass? And I was like, all right, Lord. <laughs> so, We built this monstrosity in our backyard, 17 feet high, uh, seven and a half foot elevated deck with a deer stand on top and a climbing wall and a rope. So we started this project and Matt Mason helped me uh, build this project. And one of the things about Matt, he's a great home builder. And I, I found out from Matt that if you don't have a tape measure and a pencil on you at all times, you will get fired. 
Um, so you, you carry a tape measure and a pencil. And I can remember as you look at these stairs, um, this last picture here, you'll see the stairs here. Well, all of these little balusters we had to cut by hand. We had, um, we had some wood that we had to cut, and I would cut it, and then Matt would take it and put it up. And so we did the measurements. We made sure everything was cut the right way. So my job was to measure and then cut. Well, I figured that I would save some time by measuring the first one and then using that as, as kind of a jig or an outline for the next one. So I would cut and then trace it on the board and then move the board down and make the cut. Well, Matt would take the first one and go nail it on. So then I would take the second one that I cut and use it to measure for the third and so on and so on. Well, by the time I got about five in... What was happening was that these were getting longer and longer and longer and longer. And Matt finally comes over and he's like, hey, what's going on? He's like, these aren't fitting anymore. They're not even. Because I was using the wrong standard of measurement. I was comparing one to another rather than going back to the true measurement, the tape measure, and saying, okay, it needs to be exactly this long and it needs to be cut at this angle. And when I did that, guess what? They all fit because I used the right standard of measurement. Gave me the right perspective. Helped me see what I needed to be, what these needed to be. And the same is true for us in Scripture. The Corinthians were measuring different men by by their own personal preferences and prejudices, not by the Word of God. They were self-deceived, so they couldn't even make right judgments. I want to encourage us this morning that you are stewards. You are servants. You bear the same responsibility to be a part of building up the church as myself and Stephen, Lauren, and the elders. We all work together. Just because our function may be a little bit different doesn't take away the responsibility. And from time to time, if we're not careful, we will catch ourselves comparing ourselves to another servant. And it will either inflate us with pride or deflate us with depression and despair. And that's not God's desire for us. God's desire is that we would look to him and him alone and let him be our judge. Let him be our judge. So I want to ask you this morning, what, what area of your life are you self-deceived in? And I want to encourage you this week, would you take some time in prayer and ask God, Lord, is there an area of my life where I have deceived myself into thinking that I'm better than I am or that I'm worse than I am? Because you need to go back to Scripture and understand what your identity really is if you are in Jesus Christ. You are a child of God who is loved and you are forgiven. You are empowered. Chapter 1 tells us you've been enriched in every way. So if you're down on yourself, you need to remind yourself of who you are. If you find yourself inflated with pride, go back and remind yourself why Jesus needed to die on the cross. Because of your sin. And that apart from him, you are nothing. Go back and read John chapter 15. Are you self-deceived? Are you using the wrong standard of measurement? Are you looking to the world to tell you, where your value is rather than to scripture. And then I would challenge you in this, knowing that from time to time you still will be self-deceived. Are you spending time in prayer asking God, Lord, don't, 
Don't let me go by what someone else says I need to do or by what I think I need to do. Would you convict me by the power of the Holy Spirit to do what you have called me to do? Nothing more, nothing less. Nothing beyond what is written. Because, Father, ultimately I answer to you and to you alone. Let me be found faithful as we build this church. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we are grateful that you are the master builder and that you allow us the privilege of being a part of building your church and building your kingdom. Lord, we pray that you would be with us this week, knowing that we often do deceive ourselves about how good, sometimes even how sinful we are. So we ask that you would give us a right perspective to see ourselves the way that you see us, to see ourselves the way that Scripture describes us. Lord, we ask that you would give us humility as we relate to one another, as we pray for one another, and as we work together to build this church. Lord, we pray that you would help each of us to use our gifts in a way that honors you and brings you glory. May we be found faithful as servants and as managers knowing that ultimately it is...